Good morning. Can I get the first slide on? Um, I grew up in a secular environment. And uh, I remember a few times where I was um, corrected by my parents uh, growing up. And uh, then I had the opportunity to be a parent myself and have my own kids. And that uh, showed me the other side of parenting. So yeah, we, as, as kids, we don't really understand why parents need to correct us. We feel we're you know, pretty good and uh, Correction is never pleasant, and so we would be just as happy if it, as if it went away. As, as uh, parents, we start understanding, you know, our children do need correction, but uh, the reasons for the correction might change over the years. Uh, when your child is very young, uh, correcting them might be something you do for yourself, you know, your you're making a, a mess. You know, you're throwing your food on the floor. That needs to stop because I'm going to be the one picking it up, right? Uh, there could be a certain selfish uh, purpose behind it. As, uh, as your kids get older, you start recognizing, and, and you may know this in advance, but there's a difference between knowing something because you've been to a class like Growing Kids God's Way and knowing something because you're beginning to see it and experience it yourself. And you start seeing how your children develop and how the way uh, you have corrected them uh, or the things that they've learned from you are beginning to affect their character and the way they treat the world around them and therefore the way they'll be treated, right? If you're a... a uh, a person who's disrespectful of others. Uh, others are not going to enjoy your company, and as a result, you will be less successful in whatever it is you want to do with your life. And so how our children uh, are taught being raised up will affect how happy they will be in the long term. Right? So correcting our kids ideally and ultimately should be for their own benefit. Now, nothing wrong with not wanting to clean up after your kids and teaching them to clean up after themselves or not to make a mess. I mean, that's, that's perfectly good. But uh, in the long term, their happiness should be our guide as we're correcting our children, uh, believe it or not. Right? Well, those of you who are still young enough to not be sure this is really being done for your best, ideally, as you're training and correcting your children, it is for their long-term uh, happiness. And we will see that as we look at our passage today. We've been going through uh, the book of Revelation. We only made it so far up to the later part of chapter 2. Lord willing, we'll finish chapter 2 today. Uh, but I've, been, I've really enjoyed our study in Revelation. I, I'm enjoying the participation we're getting uh, from different brothers' teachings. Uh, right now, we are going through the letters 
that the Lord Jesus uh, uh, prescribed to John the Apostle to write, which he was then to send to different churches in Asia. I have a quick map if you want to look at it. Uh, but yeah, these are uh, so-called the seven churches of Asia uh, that are close to where John the Apostle uh, was in exile. He was in exile at the island of Patmos. It would be one of those islands to the left of Ephesus. And uh, Jesus is instructing John to write his letters, and he's sending one letter each to each of these churches. We've looked at Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, or Pergamos, and now we will look at the letter that Jesus wrote to Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira was a uh, somewhat prosperous uh, city, maybe a very prosperous city. The only thing we know in the scripture is that uh, Lydia uh, came from Thyatira. She was a seller of purple that Paul met in uh, Macedonia, in the city of Philippi. And uh, we know purple was an expensive cloth, in fact, valuable enough to justify uh, Lydia to travel to, to other cities, carrying it, selling it. Uh, so perhaps because it was a prosperous city, there was a, an extra temptation uh, to the believers in that city to enjoy some of these riches that the world was bringing uh, their way. And that's really all uh, we know about Thyatira from the Bible. Obviously, archaeological excavation, other writings could give you a little bit more into it. But uh, at minimum, we know it was a wealthy uh, city. Uh, let's go ahead and we'll read the passage, Revelation chapter 2, 18, to the end of the passage. And then we'll go through it verse by verse. Revelation 2, 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And... I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depth of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden." 
but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there's a, a pattern we have observed in all these letters that uh, Jesus is prescribing John to write. And uh, the first part we see in the pattern is Jesus is revealing something about himself. And these are things we saw already in the first chapter as Jesus reveals himself to John. But he emphasizes certain aspects of his appearance that relate to the subject of the letter. In this passage, or for this letter, he emphasizes the fact that he is the Son of God. He says, this thing says, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. And I submit to you that these are aspects of the Lord Jesus that speak of his judgment. His judgment. He, he is judging the church. He is generally judging the church in all of these letters, but in this church in particular, he is now applying the rod of correction, right? As, as he hasn't yet done with any of the other churches, and in some ways not doing so for the others also. So in this, in this letter of all letters, you see the Lord Jesus exercising his authority as a judge, correcting the church. So he is the Son of God. He has eyes like a flame of fire, uh, speaks perhaps of his awesomeness or his ability of seeing through. Right? Sometimes we think God doesn't see what we're doing. He doesn't see what we're thinking or what we're feeling. Somehow we're hiding from God. Well, you cannot hide from the Lord Jesus. He has eyes like a flame of fire. And his feet like fine brass. Brass is often a symbol of judgment in the scripture. So his feet like fine brass speaks of the Lord Jesus' ability of judging, applying correction, punishing, if you would, the difference between punishment and correction is punishment I see as final. There's no hope of this person ever correcting, and so I'm just going to give them what they deserve, and that is what hell is. Correction is designed to change a person. We're going to give you a six-month you know, sentence in jail, hoping that you'll come out a better person. may not work, but that's the purpose behind it. Uh, it's, it, the purpose is to correct. Um, so that's, that's what the Lord Jesus will be doing in this letter. Now, he starts with uh, what um, I, I would call uh, encouragement, grace. Uh, when I correct a child, usually I'm so focused on the wrong thing that they're doing that I'm missing the good things that they're doing, right? Uh, no, uh, no person is, in a sense, only does bad things. There's good things that they do as well. And if we identify those and, and uh, mention them, compliment them on them, uh, they're, they're more likely to actually accept our correction, right? Because we have, we're showing we have a balanced view of them. We're not just seeing the evil. We're also seeing the good. And so the Lord Jesus is seeing the good here. 
um, amazing when we look at what he has to say after this, that he can find these good things to say about them, but he's seeing their works, he's seeing their love. So there's love in the church. Now, it is possible that this is what you call the mixed company. Right? It's a church, like this church, um, and within the church you may have some true believers, and then you may have uh, people who are professing believers but are not true believers, right? Uh, that's probably true of every church, that you have a certain mix. Right? Hopefully, you know, the great majority are true believers, and it's a minority who's not. In this church, it's hard to tell. It may be the other way around. It could be that it's a minority at this point who are true believers, and the majority are what we would call false professors, as you will see uh, later on. But he sees, he sees the love of those who are true believers by love. He's, they're trying to, to uh, do good to others. Right? They recognize uh, needs. Uh, this person is, is sick, is not doing well. I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to make them a meal. <coughs> Bless them. Uh, service. I think of the many things people do here. Uh, I mean, we enjoy this, this time of refreshment, uh, goodies that, that uh, people brought to church. Uh, somebody comes here early in the morning uh, to make sure the church is ready. Uh, somebody is here to, to pick up the trash uh, later in the week. Right? There's a lot of acts of service that are, that are less obvious that are going on. The Lord Jesus sees. He sees everything you do uh, for him, for his kingdom. And, and he, uh, he rewards us for it. He, he notices, he appreciates it. Uh, faith um, means to, to trust God at his word, to believe what he says, uh, and to, to walk by it, even though uh, it's sometimes hard to see. Uh, the scripture says God's working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and you know, I have a car accident, and I'm in the hospital, and like, what's going on? Well, God says He's working it for good. Uh, am I willing to trust Him, to believe Him uh, for that? Uh, patience. Uh, again, things sometimes don't happen as, as soon as we want them to, uh, and we have to wait. So, the enduring, the waiting for God to bring about His good in the situation I'm in, that's something commendable, right? God sees our patience and uh, rewards us for it. And then he says something interesting. He says, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Uh, often uh, in our Christian life, I notice that uh, in my own life, we might start with a lot of gusto. Right? We get saved, we're excited. You know, I want to do this, I want to do that for the Lord. And then sometime as time uh, passes, other things come into our lives, and the work of the Lord kind of diminishes in our lives. We're doing less now than we did when we were newly saved. And uh, in the case of at least some of the believing believers in Thyatira, there's been an increase, right? And that would be the ideal, not that we do less and less for the kingdom of God as we mature, but that we do more and more for the kingdom of God as we mature. And so all these good things the Lord Jesus was able to say at least uh, to some of the believers in the church of Thyatira. So we would like to emulate their example and the Lord Jesus' example as he notices the good in people's lives. Don't be quick to point out people's errors when those good things that uh, you can commend them for. What is the error of the church in Thyatira? 
we see that uh, there's a woman there, uh, and, and you could start earlier, uh, because at least at some point, this church would have been uh, a church that had uh, elders in it, uh, that, that knew the Lord Jesus, and uh, the early believers, and yet uh, they allowed uh, this woman called Jezebel to uh, teach, um, and it says here, seduce my servants. Uh, there may be different words for this translation. Um, beguile is another one I've found used in this passage. Uh, the Greek word is, is planeo, which comes from the word planet, or actually the word planet comes from it, and uh, when the Greeks look at the skies, they notice most of the stars were doing this perfect circuit, right, because the earth is spinning. Right? So they just go straight across. But the planets, because they're also spinning around the sun as we're spinning around the sun, we're doing kind of something funny in the sky. So they called them wanderers, planaires. And that's what uh, this woman Jezebel was doing. Uh, she was causing the servants of God to wander, to go off course. Right? Instead of following God's will for their lives, they were going off course. And uh, so the Lord Jesus is is uh, rebuking or pointing out this error in Thyatira. They're allowing this woman called Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, claiming to get revelation from God, to teach, to beguile, uh, to cause believers to go astray. How? Uh, she was teaching them, uh, causing them to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And uh, three things here about this particular false teaching that might apply to other false teachings you might run across. Uh, they appeal to the flesh, they will follow the world, and they will serve the devil. They appeal to the flesh, they follow the world, and they serve the devil. Uh, first, they appeal to the flesh. Uh, we, we do have natural desires. Uh, for food. I, I like to eat, especially when I'm hungry, <laughs> especially when the food is good. Uh, and so uh, that's what was this uh, Jezebel was teaching them. You can go and you eat this food. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's being offered uh, to idols, uh, but it's okay for you to eat. Right? Don't worry about it. It's good. Good food. Um, and Michael pointed out uh, to us last week as we were looking at the church, later to the church of Pergamos, um, that that goes against God's will. He doesn't want us to have anything to do with idols, including uh, eating uh, meat or things that were sacrificed to idols. And thus, sexual immorality. She, she told them, this is good, right? You, you want to do it. Uh, it feels good. Go for it. And, and it appears that she herself was participating in uh, sexual immorality uh, going on uh, within the church. Now, we, we have a desire uh, for, uh, for intimacy, right? It's God-given. Uh, it's not bad, uh, but it's designed to be fulfilled in the marriage relationship, right? The marriage bed is undefiled, the scripture says. There's nothing wrong with it as long as it's, it's done within the circle of God's purpose within the marriage. Um, and yet here, she was teaching them to do it outside of the marriage, which uh, the scripture 
forbids in many places. Right? That's not God's will. Um, so it appeals to the flesh. It follows the world. So it, it wouldn't be hard for, uh, to find examples in the world for this behavior at that time. At that time, uh, pagan worship, you'd go to the temple, uh, you will eat uh, the, the things that were sacrificed to, to idols, and you would participate in sexual immorality. They had uh, temple harlots, and that was the whole purpose of them being there, so you could uh, fulfill your, your uh, fleshly desires, you know, food and, and uh, intimacy outside of God's, God's will. So that was the world all around them, and they're like, well, everybody else is doing it. It can't be that bad. We don't see God striking them down with lightnings, so it must be okay, right? But it was following the world. It appealed to the flesh. It followed the world. Then finally, uh, it served uh, Satan, right? It was opposite to what it was that God wanted them to do. Titus 2, uh, 11 uh, through 14 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We're, we are to have pure lives, um, lives of example, uh, lives of denying the flesh, denying the world. And, um, and in this case, the false teaching was teaching them to do the opposite, right? It was to serve Satan. In fact, later on, uh, John, or I should say Jesus, uh, describes those who have this doctrine as those who have known the depth of Satan. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to seek to fulfill yourself. Satan says, uh, do uh, whatever you think will make you happy. Right? Serve yourself. Serve your own needs. Right? That is Satan. Right? God tells you, don't seek your own. Seek the things of others. Right? Serve others. That's the example that the Lord Jesus gave. He came into this world to save others. Uh, it is true that we have these uh, desires, but uh, we don't have to obey them. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and 13 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I don't just because it's okay for me uh, uh, to eat, it's okay for me uh, to have intimacy within the circle of God's will, uh, I don't have to be under the power of any of these things. I don't have to let my desire for food or my desire for intimacy rule over me. Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods. But God will destroy bo both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God given me a body to serve him with, right? When it is God's pleasure to provide me with, uh, with food or intimacy in his will, 
uh, I'll accept them with thanksgiving. But I will submit myself to God. Whatever God wants me to do, that needs to be my priority. Uh, man shall not live uh, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's to be the rule of our life. Now, we see the Lord Jesus uh, applying the rod of correction to uh, the church of Thyatira here in verses uh, 21 through 23. And there's three things we can observe about it. First, he gives them the opportunity to repent. Uh, he waits. He says in verse 21, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. Again, you'd think as soon as this so-called prophetess is going on the pulpit, is teaching believers it's okay to do this and that, she's doing it herself. Again, bang, God just wipes her out. But he doesn't. God is patient. And he waits. He says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. He waits and he waits. And as it becomes clear she is not repenting, likely he brought alongside two believers next to her, and they said, Jezebel, we hear you, you're, what you're teaching, and look, it does not align with the word of God. This is not the way God wants us to live. You're misleading. You're causing the believers to go astray. And she would not repent of it. Uh, and so now Jesus says, I will cast her into a sickbed. And uh, we, we see that happening, for example, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, it says, uh, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are ch chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So the believers were falling sick in Corinth as God was correcting them for the sin at the church of Corinth. And it says... Uh, some of them even slept, which meant they died. And that's what we see in this passage. Uh, the Lord Jesus says he will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. So how far do you go uh, in correcting your children? Uh, we, we start with the wood. Um, and then uh, we eventually advanced to using uh, a spanking spoon, right? Uh, and that's where we stopped, right? We would not go uh, beyond that point, and, and I don't think we should go beyond that point. Um, but God is not stopping, right? He is the Son of God. He has full authority. He made these people. He saved these people. And he will not stop correction until a person is dead. Right, as he does, uh, warns will happen in this case. Those who were to follow the doctrine of this woman Jezebel uh, and not repent of it uh, would eventually end up dead. That is how, how far God would go to correct uh, his church. And uh, again, this is, this is ultimately, out of love, uh, probably the best passage about this uh, uh, doctrine is in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll have the verses up. You can turn there, of course. Hebrews chapter 12 
in verse 5, it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So God's uh, reason behind applying this correction is his love for his children. Right? If you, uh, it says, uh, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Uh, if you love someone, you want their best. And God sees us uh, over a span of eternity. And he's like, my child is making an error here. If I let this error go, it will affect the happiness for all of eternity. I will step in and apply correction as needed for my child's happiness and for all my children's happiness. In this case, uh, God was using uh, these people he was correcting as an example, right, to affect others, right? He wanted, it says here, um, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So God knows that how he's correcting uh, the church in Thyatira will affect how the other churches are going to behave as well. Uh, I found that benefit when I have multiple children, uh, they might be, you know, getting rambunctious and, and starting to step beyond the line, and eventually one of them does something that's clearly beyond the line, and I step in and correct that person, all the other kids are watching. I'm like, okay, I see that. <laughs> I'm not going to cross that line. Uh, so that's God's, God's work here in Thyatira is designed to benefit them, but also benefit the rest of us as we see God's hand being applied uh, to this church. Uh, furthermore, uh, sorry, going back to Hebrews uh, 12, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Um, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Uh, I'm not a perfect father. Uh, I will uh, sometimes correct my children uh, for the wrong motive. Maybe uh, I really just don't like the mess under the table and I, I want them to stop making a mess. Uh, I went quiet in the house. I'm telling them to be quiet. Uh, and the way I apply correction may not be uh, a particularly effective or successful way of applying correction. Uh, God is not limited like me. He always wants the best for his children. His correction is always done for their benefits. And God knows how most effectively to apply correction in order uh, to get to get the point across, to help uh, the believers uh, mature or grow uh, as a result of the application of his correction. Okay, so that is uh, God's application of correction. Um, 
Then we also see uh, the rewards of growing up the way God wants us to be. <coughs> uh, my children are right now in school, and we tell them, you know, this is important. You need to do your homework so that you can get good grades. Because if you get good grades, you'll be able to go to college. And if you go to college, you'll be able to get a good job. And if you have a good job, you'll make a lot of money. Right? So, I mean, we, we can see right now, right? And, and I understand this is from a somewhat worldly perspective, right? And our eyes should go beyond this world, right? To the eternal benefit of our children. But there's still, there's, if you grow up correctly, right? If you learn to treat people right, uh, there's long-term benefits to you uh, that we uh, can see. And so... Uh, the Lord Jesus here is also pointing out the long-term benefit of allowing God to work in our lives, to correct us, to help us uh, become the kind of children he wants us to be, to grow up into the mature uh, children of God that he wants us to be. And uh, we have that in uh, verse 24 uh, through the rest of the chapter. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depth of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, uh, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. So what's the two things that the Lord Jesus is asking them to do? One is to hold fast what they have, and I see that as holding fast to God's teaching. Right? God has revealed uh, to the churches the true gospel. Right? That was already revealed. Now we have Jezebel coming in and teaching things that go contrary to the word of God, and they are to hold fast to the teaching that they received from God, right? which we now have contained for us in the Bible. Hold fast what you have, the word of God, the true doctrines of God. And um, then doing his works. Uh, right? Keeps my works until the end. Uh, so in this particular case, it would be resisting uh, what Jezebel was teaching them to do to uh, fulfill the desires of the flesh uh, and to follow the world and to um, uh, end up serving the devil, right? We have to resist all these things uh, that draw us, right? And say, no, we're going to follow God. We will live holy lives and do the things that Christ wants us to do instead. Uh, that, would, that, that is what we need to do to mature as God's children, right? And to be able to then enjoy the rewards of adulthood. And the rewards of adulthood are uh, he will give us power uh, over the nations, power over the nations. It seems, if you were to look at the church in Thyatira, that the world was winning. The world was entering into the church uh, in a powerful way. They were on the defensive and would appear to be losing. And yet one day, they will, things will turn around. The Lord Jesus will come into the world, and he will rule the world, right? 
the Lord Jesus will be here finally as the Messiah that Israel desired all these years, sitting on the throne in Jerusalem and the whole world subject to him. And he will grant us power to rule over the nations. Right? We will be uh, responsible for administering justice. We will have uh, full power over the world. Not, not that we should be um, ruling over people for the purpose of ourselves. We are to rule people to help them make good choices. Uh, the privilege, perhaps, of a child who matures and his parents can trust is they might say, well, we're uh, going out uh, for the night and uh, you're in charge. You know, we trust you. We know that you will make the right choices and tell the other children, you need to do what this child tells you to do because they've proved themselves responsible, right? As we prove ourselves responsible, God gives us authority over the nations. The other um, a reward of growing up uh, to be the children God wants us to be, we're told here, is he will give us the morning star. And uh, I, I did some research into what might this morning star be, and uh, most commentators will connect us with the planet uh, Venus because uh, Venus is closer to the sun than we are, which allows it to appear in the sky right before the sun does. And what a planet like Venus does is it reflects the sunlight, and it just makes, makes it look really bright in the star. And that's what makes it uh, the morning star. What does it mean to be given uh, the morning star? Uh, I think of the sun being like the Lord Jesus. Right? The Lord Jesus, and I think this scripture calls him the son of righteousness as well. He is the source of glory, and we're the ones who reflect his glory like the morning star. And uh, there's a couple of, of uh, verses about that. Uh, for example, First uh, John, John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we're going to be like the Lord Jesus. He is uh, glorious, right? And glory uh, is often uh, results in, in a person being bright. That's the way we actually saw him in the first chapter of Revelation, right? His countenance was like that of the sun shining in its glory. And so there's actual light emanating from the Lord Jesus. There will actually be light emanating from us, right? We will have a glory that comes to us from the Lord Jesus, right? And of course, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, that would be completely eclipsed. Like when the sun rises, you're not going to see the morning star anymore, right? But still, it's something... When we're not going to be right next to the Lord Jesus, and I believe this is speaking of uh, the world, the millennium, right? After the Lord Jesus will be sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, we might be administrating a you know, piece of real estate in Fremont, California, ruling over this place, and we will be shining, right? 
there will be glory emanating from us, which we know the true source is that of the Lord Jesus, but he's giving us the morning star. He's giving us this brightness, this light shining. I know it's not something that's typically you know, discussed. It's in this passage. One more passage that has it, Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. I believe this also is speaking of the resurrection that we will see in Revelations chapter 20. The beginning of the millennium, there'll be a resurrection uh, of Old Testament believers. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So we will shine. You know, it's not, you know, right now it seems kind of strange. What do you mean we will shine? Light will be emanating out of us. We will be shining like the stars. And that is, again, what God has in his mind as he's correcting us here, and he wants us to be partakers of his holiness. Right? He's looking into the future, and he's seeing us ruling over the world, administrating justice and rule on the earth under his authority, shining like the stars with his glory. And he's telling us, you know, hold fast what you have. Continue with the works I've given you. I know this is tough when you have the pools of the flesh, the, uh, the pressures of the world, uh, the, the devil going after us. It's like persevere. You know, good things are coming to those who persevere. Um, closing thoughts. <laughs> I don't know how many of you spend any time on the computer uh, going to a website and you get this you know, pop-up advertisement. Oh, free computer, you know, click over here. And uh, the way I see it, this is kind of what the world is like, right? We're going through life, you know, trying to do our own business. And, and, and the world will flash at us, you know, if you do this, you'll be happy. No, 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 if you do this, you'll be happy. And that we could go through life chasing this pop-up advertisement. Oh, if I, if I can only do this, uh, then I will be happy. And um, the truth is, uh, you will be disappointed, I promise you. <laughs> if you were to click on that advertisement, you will be disappointed. You'll find out, oh, it's not really a, few com a free computer. I first have to purchase this software and sign up for that, and then you know, I'll be one out of a thousand or a million people who has a chance of winning a computer. Or worse, you'll click on it and a virus will get downloaded to your computer and ruin your computer, right? And that's all these things that the world promises us. They're either empty promises, they say they'll make you happy and they won't, or they're actually gonna ruin your life, right? That's, that's what the world offers. And uh, it made me think of the song we're gonna close with, it's called uh, Trust and Obey. And uh, I have a, a special relationship with that song because it was sang uh, on my baptism. And uh, it says, Trust and obey, trust and obey. Uh, and trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. As believers especially, 
So, I mean, for the world, the world will not understand why Jesus is going to make you happy until they themselves come to know him, right? But as believers, as believers, the only way for happiness is to trust and obey. Trust what Jesus tells you in his word. Trust what the Bible says and then obey it uh, personally. Uh, that, is, that is the key for the believer's uh, long-term and short-term happiness is to follow the Lord, to believe in his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness uh, to us. We recognize uh, we often are led astray, be it uh, a false teacher like Jezebel or, or temptations from the world uh, or trials of the devil. Lord, it's so easy for us to, to step off the path that you have for us to walk. And we're thankful uh, for your patience with us and for your work with us, seeking to correct us, seeking to help us become uh, the men and women you want us to be so that uh, we could enjoy both uh, fellowship, sweet fellowship with you now and the eternal rewards you have for us in heaven. We pray for anyone here or anyone perhaps listening uh, online to this message who doesn't know you, that you'll uh, draw them to yourself. Those who might, be, might have, have went off the path, Lord, and uh, are your children, but are not walking with you, and as a result, missing the blessings you have for them, for them too, we cry out that you might turn them back to yourself so they can enjoy you and everything you have for them. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.